You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, (laughs) Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now we're going to come to it later, but he's already said this once, all right? He's already said this once. Now he's saying it to all of them, plus Thomas. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Better understood, and I think this is the the route that Joshua took last year, don't be unbelieving, but believe. Don't be, um, what is the better thing that I'm looking for? Uh, Don't not have faith, but instead have faith. All right? Now, that could sound like a weird command coming from Jesus, but we're going to see where that fits in. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. All right, now I'm going to go back up a paragraph. I'm, I'm mixing the text all up this morning. And you know what? I'm hoping that by the end of our time, it's all going to make sense why we've mixed it up. Or at the end of our time, you might say, Wade's brain is really mixed up. All right? And that's okay too. That's okay too. Let's go back now. We're going to go back to last Sunday, all right? Last Sunday, after the Marys met Jesus in the garden, right? Remember this now? The Marys were in the garden. There was an angel sitting on top of the rock, just hanging out, there to let them know that Jesus has risen. And then, there seems to be a gardener hiding out in the bushes somewhere, And that gardener is not just any gardener. He's the gardener from Eden. And his name is Jesus. And he shows up and tells Mary, the Marys, the Mary and the other Mary, "Um, I have risen. I am he. I'm the one that you've been looking for. And I want you to go and tell my disciples about it. So that's just what they do. And then later on in the evening, what happens? We'll read it again in a minute. But Jesus shows up to his disciples. He shows up to them. And what's the first thing he says is, peace be with you. All right. But on that same day, Thomas, I don't know where, he was out getting bread or something. He came back. Jesus had already been there. He had already left. And this is what Uh, Thomas says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Mm, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Right? Um, This isn't just uh, doubt, right? We all have doubts about things. I doubt whether I drank enough coffee this morning to get through this sermon. (laughs) I I doubt whether you're going to make it through this sermon, 
But we're not just talking about doubt here. In fact, later on, when Jesus says, don't disbelieve or don't be an unbeliever, the word there is actually the word that we get for apostate. It, It means someone that has totally turned away from the faith. Jesus is literally saying to Thomas, Thomas, don't be someone that has completely turned away from the faith. Instead, trust me, believe. So these are are strong words that Thomas is sharing with everyone. No, 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 no. I'm not going to believe that. Not in a million years. Not unless he shows back up and I get to, gross, stick my finger in the wounds. A couple things that we need to see in the text here before we get going. And Joshua helped to guide us through this last year. Um, What is the purpose of this text? All right, well, the purpose of this text we find down at the very end. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And Joshua gave us three things. This passage is here, and what Jesus is doing is he is giving these signs, these gifts over to the disciples so that they would believe, all right? To make us believe. Also, so that Jesus would show himself as truly being God. And then lastly, that we would have the same life that he freely gives to us in his resurrection, that we would have it and we would have it in fullness in his name. All right, so three reasons why Jesus is doing this. And yet, this is, this is really interesting what's happening with Thomas. And it, it touches on things that we touched on in the Sunday school class this morning as well in terms of faith. Right. Um, one of the things that I find very interesting is that we might think that the thing that Thomas is asking for is very normal. Well, yeah, people demand evidence all the time. And yet, Thomas is not exactly demanding evidence. And I'll give you a reason for that. Once he sees Jesus, you've heard, you've seen someone that doubts what you believe as a Christian. And you can give them a piece of evidence. You can give them a passage of Scripture. And what's the first thing that they do? Eh, maybe. Right? Thomas doesn't hold up this thing. You know what? I will believe if I get this, this, and this. Because the truth is, anyone that is unbelieving, if they were to get this, this, and this, they would say, okay, and one more thing. Right? (laughs) He isn't just demanding evidence. He's demanding something else. He's actually demanding something more than just evidence. And he, he doesn't even know it necessarily, I don't think. He's demanding Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. I need Jesus. I don't need uh, other other people's witnessing of him. I need Jesus. Because when he does come and Jesus commands him, okay, go ahead, touch, feel. Don't be an unbeliever, but be a believer. Thomas doesn't say, okay, um, one more thing. He's not taking time to weigh the evidence. 
Thomas didn't know it, but what he needed was repentance. He needed repentance, and that is exactly what Jesus gives to him. What did we read in Acts this morning? What did Jesus come and do? He, come, he came and he gave repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's exactly what Thomas needed, and that is exactly what Thomas got. Jesus came and, what do we say? Repentance is turning around, right? It's, it's being turned by God. It's you and your life looking at everything that you fear, love, and hope in. And Jesus, through His Word and by the Spirit, picking you up and turning you around and pointing you at Himself. And that is exactly what Jesus does for Thomas. He comes and quite literally repents him. How did he do it? He came and he did it by saying, peace be with you. Hey, our song that was the video this morning, what's something that we sing in that song? Um, I'm, I'm actually blanking now, so I'm going to need your help. I need to know that people are awake. Are you with me? Right? Uh, speak peace to me. My sins forgive. Speak peace to me. My sins forgive. When God comes and speaks peace to us, what is He doing? He is forgiving your sins. He is forgiving your sins. All right, we're going to come back to that. And here's our big idea. This is where I want to take us this morning. There's many more sermons that we could shake out of this text, but here's where I want us to go right now. You have received forgiveness and the authority to forgive. You have received forgiveness and the authority to forgive. All right. We'll come back. We'll touch on Thomas here in just a little bit. But we want to go back to the beginning of our text now and see just exactly what's happening. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Yes, um, we're going to use this word shalom here, all right? And shalom is not just, hey, how you doing? Although that is exactly what Jesus is doing as well, okay? This word's carrying a lot of weight for Jesus. It's a greeting and it is something else far bigger than that. Shalom would mean that all is well, that everything is at peace, that in fact, God has made all things at peace with himself. What's something that we usually confess together? Making peace by the blood of his cross, right? From Colossians. That's exactly what Jesus is coming and telling the disciples right now. Peace be with you. I have made peace with you by the blood of the cross. Now these disciples, they already heard from Mary and Mary. Okay, we're pretty sure of that. And yet, where are they? They are locked inside. What does John tell us? Why are they locked inside? For fear of the Jews. And they probably should be fearing the Jews, right? Jesus has just died. They are scared. Are they next? But not to be too offensive here, it might sound a bit coarse. They're scared of another Jew as well. <laughs> They're scared of Jesus. 
They're not just scared of the Jewish leaders. What did these disciples do as Jesus was being taken to the cross? They ran. I don't know. Have you been betrayed by somebody? You don't need to show hands. The kids and I are reading this book at nighttime right now. It's got a bunch of rodents in it, uh, but they're all carrying swords and they have capes and armor and all this good stuff. And it gets a bit graphic. I'm not going to lie. Like this is, it's a children's story, but it's intense. And uh, there's this one scene and we just read it a couple nights ago and there was a, a character that betrayed all the other good guys in the story. And one of the good guys comes out of nowhere and he knows what's happened and you think, okay, there's going to be this conversation. Uh, they're going to talk it out. Maybe there's going to be some punishment. But no. Do you know what happens? The good guy comes, sees the betrayer, and sticks a sword through his chest. That sounds like a pretty good way of dealing with betrayers, if you ask me. <laughs> you know what the disciples probably thought? What do we deserve at this point? And... If we had been responsible for the person that we followed for years who claimed to be God and we hear he's risen from the dead, how in the world do we expect to be dealt with? Let's lock the doors. Well, how well did that work for them? Okay, do we know what happened here? I hate to say it, we don't know what happened. Did Jesus pass through the wall? I don't know. Did Jesus pick the lock? I don't know. What I do know is this in a, a near, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's, it's kind of a dark comedy, but it, it's comedic and yet also horrifying for the disciples. He's just there with them. Here they are. They're hiding out. Thomas, what, went to go get milk and Jesus shows up in the room with them despite the fact that they locked the door. That would scare me because he's the one person that I don't want to see right now. I don't want to see Pharisees knocking on the door and I don't want to see Jesus showing up in the middle of the room because I just betrayed him. Jesus came and stood among them. And that's another thing. Did Jesus ask permission? Did he knock on the door? Uh, hey, disciples, it's me. Uh, it, it's safe, I swear. You can let me in. That's the last person I would let in the room, right? That's the last person, someone that says, you can trust me, it's safe. No, we're not letting that guy in the room. Jesus knows that's what's going to happen. What does he do? He doesn't wait to be invited. He comes in and he stands among them. That's exactly what Jesus did to you. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, for many of us, we've had a very, let's say, traveled faith journeys, okay? You've probably been called at some point to, to stand and to invite Jesus into your heart. Great. But you know what? Jesus didn't wait to get invited into your heart. He came and he said to you, peace be with you. I have made peace by the blood of my cross. Before we even knew how to say, Lord, speak peace to me, my sins forgive, he spoke peace to us and forgave us of our sin. 
When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just in case you thought I was joking around, just in case you think I do have a sword under this jacket, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so, I am sending you. Now, back in John chapter 17, he said all of this to them before. But they didn't quite pick up on everything that was happening in that prayer. Yeah? I mean, we could spend days going through that prayer. We wouldn't pick up on everything. And yet, here he says, peace be with you, i.e., your sins are forgiven. Your betrayal of me, your lack of faith in me, your complete and utter unbelief in who I said that I was and who I said that I was for you, peace. All is at peace. All is well. All is forgiven. You guys remember when I said to you, as the Father sent me, so I send you? I'm going to say it to you again right now. Just because you sinned, does not mean that the things that I'm entrusting you with are out the window. I'm going to re-up it right now. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Now, um, that can sound nice, but it also sounds absolutely horrifying. <laughs> Why? What happened to Jesus? As the Father sent me to the cross to die for the sins of the whole world, so I now send you. The only thing is, for the disciples, they know that unlike Jesus, um, they don't get to come back after the third day, right? <laughs> they have to trust in a future promise, right? They have to have faith now that everything that Jesus has said to us before is true. But they have a lot of good evidence standing right in front of them that what he has said is actually true. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, when you started coming to church at Anchored Baptist, uh, did I come over to you and breathe on you? No, it's during COVID anyway. That wouldn't have been good. Yeah. No, no, we didn't do that. Why? Because we don't follow what Jesus... No, no, no. Um, something very significant is happening here. Uh, yes. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Yes. All right. Later on, we're going to see the Holy Spirit come um, at, at Pentecost. Really, what we're seeing here is an understanding of who God is for His people. The disciples don't understand it yet, and they won't understand it for a while, but what we are seeing here is God the Father sending the Son and being given the Holy Spirit. We're seeing the Trinity at work in this passage. Do the disciples understand it? No, not yet. But this is exactly what's happening. God in all of his fullness is working in and through them. Also, here's some men locked in a room, fearing death. What does he do? He comes and breathes on them. And gives, him, gives them himself. 
This is the only time that this word breathe on them is used in the New Testament. The closest thing we have to this word being used is in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. What happens there? Adam is created from the dust of the ground and God breathes life into him. God places his spirit in Adam. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. What did we read about last week? What did we see pictured in baptism last week? New creations, right? And Jesus is breathing on his disciples saying, you are a new creation. You were in the grave already and you didn't even know it. You thought I was in the grave. You were in this room dying. You were the dust of the ground and I'm breathing new life into you. All right, so receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sin, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This could sound like a really scary passage, and it might be for you. Let's find out. But in order to understand this passage, this is one of the craziest things I've ever said. I'm kind of joking. Um, I need a KJVer in the room, guys. Hey, hey, what does the KJV say here? Not. Um, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold, what's the words that the King James Version uses? Because I like it better. It works better. It makes more sense in the passage. Any ideas? If you loose the sins of any, and if you bind the sins of any. All right? So let's read it like that now, and we'll get to what these words mean. If you loose the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you bind the sins of any, then forgiveness is withheld from them. What is this binding and this loosing? This is slave language right here. This is slave language. Hey, disciples, I'm making you new creations. I am forgiving you, and I'm sending you out with something that no one else is ever going to do. What's that thing called? Give forgiveness out there in the world how much forgiveness do you receive and i don't mean like you accidentally bump something with the bump someone with the trolley although i guarantee you that person's probably not going to forgive you either okay <laughs> in fact they're going to go home and they're going to complain about this person that hit them with the trolley at checkers yeah how often do you receive forgiveness from the world? How quick is the world to offer forgiveness to you? In the workplace, when a coworker feels as though you have done something wrong to them, how many times do you have to say sorry before they believe it? Well, they're not going to. They're going to, they're going to say, yeah, okay, whatever. And then hopefully one day they'll just forget that the whole thing happened. The disciples are being sent out to do what no one else does. And that is to forgive, first of all. But more specifically, they're sent out to do something that no one else can do. And that is to forgive sins. This loosing here is you are being set free from that sin. The binding here is you are still a slave to that sin. Alright, so now church... How does this work with us? How does this work with us? 
All right. It's my role as your pastor to forgive you your sins. I don't know if you know that. There's no catch to it. We, we believe that Jesus gives you the repentance that you need. He gives you the faith that you need. He, for, he gives gifts to you the forgiveness that you need. There's no hidden agenda. There's no tricks. It's my job to do that. So if I come up here on a Sunday and I say, you know what? I'm not sure. I heard, I heard you read that confession from the screen. I'm not sure you were feeling it. Let's go back and do it again. No. No, I, I'm giving up my responsibility when I do that. In fact, my great hope is that by this time in the service, you've already heard that you are forgiven four times. And by the end of the service, you're going to hear it a fifth time. And then it's probably going to come up again. Oh, wait, it does. In the Lord's Supper. And then you'll probably hear it again just by happenstance. All right? You know what else? You are a new creation. You are someone that is sent out by Jesus, aren't you? We read about that in the Great Commission. And this is John's version of that Great Commission. You are someone that has received forgiveness. And because of that, you have the forgiveness to offer to others. Now, What is this, this binding or tying someone to their sin? Is that because when I'm a pastor, I have great authority... And I like to make people feel really bad. And if I don't feel like forgiving them, then they don't get forgiven. No, that's not what we're talking about here. You know, I had a friend. um, Well, was he a friend? I'm not sure. He was a betrayer, actually. And this friend betrayed everyone in his life. And after months of, of seeing this friend, him knowing his sin... Me knowing his sin. There's one last time I said to myself, no, this is the last time. I'm going to meet with him, and this is it. I just know we're going to have a breakthrough. And I I talked to him about the sin, and he seems to not hear me. He's all glassy-eyed. He talks about something else. You do know what you did, right? Glassy-eyed. He's on to a different conversation. You do know that you're tearing your life apart, right? You do know that you're tearing this other person's life apart, right? You do know that you're tearing your children's life apart, right? You do know that the people that are under your pastoral care are losing faith because of your actions, right? All I wanted to do was to forgive him for that sin. I didn't need him to say, um, this is everything I've ever done. What I needed him to see is that he was actually a sinner, but he couldn't see it. He was doing everything right in his own eyes. And I walked away from that meeting last time I've ever spoken to him. That was two years ago. And his sin is still bound to him. He's still chained up to that sin. He's a slave to it.
There's a problem with that, Christian. And I think that you've probably experienced this as well. Is that this binding and loosing, this forgiving and this not giving forgiveness? You carry the weight of that sin then too, don't you? Right? I mean, honestly, the pain of the whole world around you, if you have your eyes open, if you're paying attention, if, if you're looking at the lives of other people, you're carrying that weight with you. It, if you don't feel that weight, I would encourage you to open your eyes, to open your ears. Don't make your heart hard. That's why I'm able to walk in here on a Sunday and say, for all who are weary and in need of rest, Christian, the truth is you should probably be weary and in need of rest. Now I hope that's not all of us every Sunday, right? Because we need each other. And yet the reality is, my friend, that betrayer, for lack of a better term, I still carry his sin with me. I know it's still bound to him. And there's no hope in sight for him. That makes me very sad. It makes me very sad because he was a preacher of that good news. He's heard it a million times. He knows it. And yet when given the option to say, don't be an unbeliever, but be a believer, he says, mm, I think I'll be the unbeliever. Back in um, John chapter 7, uh, John, John does this a couple times in his gospel where he, he knows the story he's telling. And because of that, he uh, gives us a, a picture of what's going to happen in the future. It's almost like he doesn't want to give away the ending, but he totally gives away the ending. Okay? <laughs> and back in John chapter 7, he said that, um, that, that Jesus was going to give his disciples the Holy Spirit. Wait, oh wait, I wasn't supposed to say that yet. So, um, that's only going to happen when he's glorified. Mm, I love it. I love it, because that tells us a couple things about Jesus right here in this passage. Uh, one, it tells us that at his resurrection, not at his ascension, not as uh, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but right there in that moment, when he shows up in the room with his disciples, he's glorified. He's, he's Jesus at the top of his game, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and, and he is giving them the Holy Spirit. All right. So what does this tell us about Jesus? Well, a couple things. One, uh, here Jesus has a physical body. Right? He was a gardener outside the tomb. Shows up to the Marys, lets them know what's what. He sees Peter and John, lets them know what's what. He comes to these disciples, lets them know what's what. And in doing that, he stands among them. He shows them the wounds. And just in case you were not quite sure whether this was like spirit Jesus that walked through the wall or something, he comes back, shows back up, and says to Thomas, peace be with you, touch it physical body right here for you glorify you know jesus this is this is beautiful we believe 
in the resurrection of the body. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected in His body. He had scars. He had wounds. We were told that He wasn't the most attractive person in the world, but here He is in that same body, but different. A different body, but the same? I don't know how to say it. But there He is, glorified in that body. All right, so then... Let's go back. Let's, let's go back. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. He wasn't with them. They say, we have seen the Lord. He says, no, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger at the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And then eight days later, peace be with you, he shows up in his physical body. And does he, does he wait to be announced again? No. He invites himself right in. He invites himself right in and he doesn't even give Thomas the time to say, Lord, I want to repent now. Right? No. What happens? Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not believe, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Right there in that moment, Thomas has been repented He knows that he has been forgiven. And there's only one thing left to say. My Lord and my God. He's saying, Jesus, everything you ever said about yourself is true. My Lord and my God. Now, have you believed because you have seen me? You know, this is a difficult verse. And I want to dive into this verse for just a second. Um, Because it almost sounds like Jesus is saying to Thomas, your faith is pretty good, but it's not the best that it could be. And I don't want us to hear that from this text because that's not what's happening with this text. Uh, There's a couple of different ways that we could could hear this. I'm not actually sure that hearing it as a question that's being asked or demanded of Thomas is the best way of saying it. Maybe a rhetorical question. That is a question that you don't need to give an answer to would be the best way of hearing it. And and Jesus comes to Thomas. He shows up without being invited. He offers himself up to Thomas without Thomas repeating himself, right? What did Thomas say? If I could just see it, if I could touch it, then maybe. And Jesus says, do it. He doesn't wait for Thomas to respond again, to ask it again. He doesn't, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't let Thomas stay in unbelief. Anchored Baptist Church, this week, you're going to meet people that are in unbelief. You're going to meet people that are doubting. In fact, you know what? In our world, it's a good thing to doubt. Oh, we should question everything, right? I think it's a pretty good way of looking at the world. Yeah, question everything. Great. But you know what we do when we leave people in their doubt? When we hold doubt up as a virtue and we say, yes, doubting is good. We're leaving people in their unbelief. And Jesus wasn't even going to give Thomas the time of day to be left in his unbelief. He just goes and offers himself right up. See the wounds? Touch him. 
Jesus literally comes to Thomas and gives him all of himself. So, have you believed because you've seen me? Maybe we could say it like this. Thomas, you believed because you saw me. And you're blessed for that. Everyone that comes after you isn't going to see me, but you know what? They're still going to be blessed. Thomas and all you disciples, you guys are receiving the Holy Spirit. You guys have received repentance. You guys have received faith. You guys have received a mission to have forgiveness and to give it back out. Well, you know what? Everyone that comes after you is going to get all of those same things, even though I'm not going to be standing right in front of them, offering up my wounds to them. Christian, that's you. This isn't a question of, okay, so is faith and sight, uh, what's happening here? No. This is a guarantee, it's a promise to you that everything that the disciples received, you too are receiving, despite the fact that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is what he is saying to Thomas. It could also be said, when Jesus is offering all of himself up to Thomas, this invitation to not be unbelieving, but to believe. Do you need to have faith when Jesus is standing right in front of you? No. You don't need to, because he's there. And Thomas is suddenly realizing that all of the promises of God that are yes and amen in Jesus is standing right in front of him. It's a call to believe. And yet for you and for me, we are called to faith. Because Jesus isn't standing right in front of us, but we do have the same guarantee that Thomas and the rest of the disciples had. That we receive all of God's good good gifts to us. Forgiveness, faith. And because of Jesus' graciousness, we receive mercy even when we don't deserve it. When we deserve a sword through the chest, (laughs) we receive mercy. I've packed way too much into this sermon. Um, I would love to keep going. But I think this is where we leave off for today. You have received forgiveness and the authority to forgive. Christian, no one else is going to do it. If I were to expand on that, I would say it like this. Uh, You have received faith, which comes from Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That forgiveness is yours, and it's yours to give out to others. To let them know that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, They are forgiven. And God has promised to them that they are a new creation that is called not just to have a faith and to keep it, but to go out and to share that faith, to extend Christ's forgiveness to others. You have received forgiveness and the authority to forgive.
Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.